and I've been over to his house, and he's been over here. I've never seen a print that he made. His, he had a lot of prints by you know, Bob Bagby and Louis Condax and guys like that mm -hmm. hanging around, but none of his own. And he came over here one time, and I showed him some of these casings I've been making, and he said, you tell me you're getting this much in one coat print operation? I said, yeah, thinking you might be interested in finding out how. We said, why don't you publish? Mm. Well, that's, a, that's, I guess, just that kind of well, mind. I, that I think of what, what Will Noon, what McMurtry, Fred and Archer, all that gang. Mm -hmm. One guy by Nev Eldridge, I knew by mail down in uh, Florida. A great friend of Louis in the old days. What those guys knew, and it's just gone now because nobody worked with them and, and found out mm -hmm. how to carry it along. And they themselves did not attempt to write it down in a way that really you transmitted. You can't write it in a way. How? Do, 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 do you play golf? No, but I can <laughs> imagine what you were getting at. Well, somebody hits one into a trap and it hits and gets into a poached egg lie. Now, you explain to somebody how to plant their feet, how upright a swing to take, and how far back of the sand to hit, and with how much force to make the thing go boop up on the green. You just gotta do if it. all the directions for making gum bicromate were printed on a tape end to end, for sentences end to end, damn thing would reach halfway down to Washington on that. <laughs> and yet, it's the simplest doggone process in the world, and yet there are so many variations possible that you simply have to start off and do it. goof it up until you finally get to where something happens. And it's not guaranteed. No. Did each person yeah. kind of have his own little way of working? Each but, photographer had his own little process and his own specific sure. way of uh, working? Sure. Well, I, if I only knew the answer, I'd uh, write an article on how to do it. But, um, well, Harold Layton and uh, well, Steinbach over in England. Uh, Alfred is another one. And there have been several gum work, Benny Moore down in, in uh, uh, Alexandria, Virginia, and uh, oh, several like that. Mm -hmm. Did a lot of work on gum. I got the recipes for mixing a gum solution from all of them. They vary everything from everywhere from a 33% solution down to a 10% solution, and yet they all produce pictures. Steinbeck used to make beautiful. Uh, well, uh, low-key and carefully selected subjects and carefully made negatives that didn't have too much of a scale in them because, as you know, gum has practically no scale. You have to do multiple prints. You get anywhere with it as a rule. Mm -hmm. He'd come up with beautiful prints in one coat print operation. And yet, I have taken the exact amount of gum and pigment that he used and tried to do it, and the doggone thing would just flake off because the light didn't get down through that. Hmm. mess of stuff that he used. Hmm. Here's another but, name that, that comes to mind, uh, uh, Mortensen. Did you ever have any contact uh, with Mortensen? Uh, no. Uh, he was, uh, I was up in Northern California. He was down there at Laguna Beach. Right. But I've known several guys that took his course, and I've seen a lot of his work and read much of the books that he wrote. Yeah. Because he's a, he's a very... 
one of the most well seemingly uh, from what I've been able to gather one of the a kind of an yeah. extreme point of view for those absolutely times. his own way of doing it and a, a, a style that you can pick out uh, from across the room mm -hmm. but uh, see I, I met Edward West and didn't know him well because I used to get down to Carmel for vacations when we were living here in San Francisco and uh, see Ned McMurtry the last few years we were out there had moved up to Carmel from Pasadena so we'd always see Ned and then who was that guy that uh, German name that was with Edward Weston. Hagemeyer? Yeah. Johann lived at the, where Carmel or Ocean Avenue goes up the hill and then there was a little branch up. It just she got out of the town and here was Johann's house right there in Head Y. Mm -hmm. And he used to come to the Carmel Camera Club meetings, but I never got to know him well, he was just an acquaintance. Um, you ever hear of the Camera Craft magazine? Yes, sure. Well, I was sick blooming. And, uh, All right, yeah. Sig's secretary was Frankie Younger. And she is now Mrs. Adolf Fassbender. Ah. Uh huh. There's Sig. That's a pretty poor print, but that. Is this a guy that I've heard of who published his own poetry in a magazine? And no. Did, who, who am I thinking no. of? That's somebody no. else. He published a little book. <laughs> the story of that was that the uh, Camera Craft magazine used to have a contest very mm -hmm. yes. much. And then, uh, see, on Tuesday noons, a group of us used to have lunch at a little Italian restaurant across from the side door of the Palace Hotel on Montgomery Street. Uh -huh. Well, Sig's office was only a block away, so he was always there for the luncheon. Well, one noon I had the old like, and that's one of those 3-5 Elmar. And, well, I don't know what the ASA they didn't have ratings for film in those days. This is about 37, 38 on there. Uh -huh. I just got down, said it at a uh, an eighth of a second and braced my elbows and opened it up to three five and shot some pictures of them. He said, You won't get any pictures in this light. So I made this print and took it into Frankie Unger and I said, Now don't show it to the old man until he looks at the at the entries for this month's contest. So that was the first time Sig saw it. I don't think he was pleased. <laughs> hmm. Well he let's see. Photo Art Monthly. Photo Art Publisher. You know, I, I, I should have saved some of the little magazines, I suppose. I never, the, the trouble is they stack up and then you got so much stuff. Yep. And here, oh, when Nathan Lyons was trying to get that Visual Studies workshop started, I gave him an awful lot of the books that I had, the American Annual for several years, and the mm -hmm. US camera, and the rest of those things. So I can't show you some of the things that I keep thinking of. But. Yeah, I've seen some of those kinds of things. I know what you're referring to. Um, well, you achy must have gone around Eastman. Yeah, ha have you seen this uh, this show that uh, let's see where did I put the thing that just opened? Yeah, that called California Pictorialism. That had this is a this is a list of the. 
people that were in it. Have you seen the catalog on that? No. I would think that... Ann Brigham was a, a great friend of Will Asenville's, and he did the best he could to teach her photography. Yeah. She was the, the poetic type and a wonderful concept. Absolutely the, no technical know-how at all. She came up with some good pictures, but Will was chiefly uh, to blame for it. She was uh, immune to technical knowledge, yeah, pretty much. She, I, I had her book, I forgot the name of it, with pictures of that, uh, that girlfriend of hers, it was the, the nude shots where she'd be out on the water and all. He used to take those up in the mountains, and that was icy water, and a poor gal would nearly freeze to death. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Let's see, Dasenville, Freeman, Genthy, I never knew him, he'd gone. Hagemar, I knew him. Arthur Kales was another of the Los Angeles pictorialists, but I never met him. Probably the, the best bromoil worker they had. I've heard Ned talk about uh, Arthur Kales inking a bromoil by having a matrix, a small matrix, just put it in the water, letting it soak, and wrapping a piece of sh damp chamois around his finger passing it with a rubber band, and pick up a little ink and go ahead and ink the matrix. Well, uh, most of these are names I have heard. Westernized, I think, are men. Yeah, these are actually a lot of Southern California people. These are a lot of Southern California people, uh, I, I'm yeah, realizing. But uh, there are several of them that I remember that aren't on this list, but of course, there wasn't any people listening. Sure. And, uh, hmm. See, I, I've seen Brett Weston several times. You see him around Carmel, and I bought in a larger from him one time. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, I interviewed Brett last year. Went out and spent yeah. a, a, quite a couple of days with Brett. It was really interesting. Where was, uh, where was the interview published, or was it? No, no, it, it was... Um, I saw one where somebody talked to Brett oh. Weston. If you're thinking of the one I'm thinking of, it was awful. And then there was one that, in camera magazine that was okay, but um, no, this was a when this is done, this will be a couple hundred pages, oh. uh, and we're still working on it. Actually, that's part of this whole project I'm doing. Yeah. What about Wynn Bullock? Uh, well, of course, Wynn, uh, we did not get to in time. Mm -hmm. That was. Because uh, Wynn, Wynn and I were pretty good friends for eight years. See, I, I retired in '62. Mm-hmm. We just uh, our third daughter was through school and engaged and had a job. So I said to Mom, look, let's get out of here for the winter. So we simply closed the house up and drove out to California and holed up in Pacific Grove. And we did that for seven or eight years. And we had a great arrangement then. Uh, Ed Wilson, who taught dye transfer over at uh, MRIT, used to live out here in East Bloomfield. Well, that was an 18-mile drive each way for him. Uh-huh. Every day. So he'd take over your house so in the winter? So I said, Ed, move into our place. You can go out and shake yours anytime you want to. And you and Avis just live here. And we'd go out the coast, so we did. And it was a great arrangement. Nobody had to heat it anyway. And uh, he'd insist on paying the telephone bill. Well, that didn't worry me too much. But it was a fine arrangement. That let us spend our uh, winters out there in Pacific Grove. So is that where you got to know Wynn then? Yeah. Yeah, Wynn. Jess Forsyth and Russ Connie and I would get together almost every Sunday morning just to talk. We didn't do a lot of work. Yeah, I have a friend yeah. in California um, who knew Wynn 
somewhat near the end of his life, and uh, through a, an, another guy by the name of um, Jack Ward, I'm wondering, who was a man about 50, who was a friend of uh, Wynn's, and helped him print some of the portfolios in the last, uh, you know, the last couple of years, uh -huh. and um, has been helping Edna on working yeah. all the, this whole deal with Tucson, you know. Well, Edna and a damn little dachshund, and uh, what's the gal's name? Barbara. Barbara. He used to come over on Sunday morning over to the motel where we were. See, Goodwin lived just over in Monterey. And Edna and Ruth and the dog and Barbara would go for a walk, and we'd sit around and talk. Now, this was after he'd retired from Vandenberg then. This was when he. Didn't he move up to Monterey full time after he had retired from that uh, concession he ran at Vandenberg Air Force Base? Didn't he do a lot of. Oh, yeah, this was after that. Yeah. See, this was from 62 until. Last year we were out there at 70 or 71, I think. And uh, it was during the war he was down there at the Air Force Base, wasn't it? I think he ran yeah. that for, for a number of years. Well, he may, he may have, but I know I heard a lot about it, but he wasn't doing that at the time. And I've heard that lecture on time and space so many times, and I still don't understand it. <laughs> well, given, given that, what kind of things did you and he have in common, really? I mean, beyond. I mean, he was not making uh, he was not making uh, gum prints or anything like that. No, no, and no, no, no. You were not into time and space, so what? What? I mean, well, but obviously there was something. Just a general interest in photography and friendship, and uh, just to get together and talk photography and look at prints and things. And uh, one time, uh, when and uh, Jess Forsythe, who's a retired admiral, that lives out there in the uh, forest, uh, came over, and I carefully coated a piece of paper with his casein gunk and exposed it and washed it out and one of them says, well, be doggone, you got an image. And uh, Wynn's comment was, well, why go to all that trouble? <laughs> and yet Wynn would spend a whole night sometimes making five or six prints where he had a, well, I remember one in particular that the, one of the oil companies wanted to buy and was a shot out over the, the uh, foreground was just the, the rocks and things, and then the ocean, and the sun just going down. Well, of course, it was just this hot spot with black all around it. He made a straight print. Well, he'd probably take an hour or so fussing around dodging, mm -hmm. and he made six of them. I said, well, why don't you make one the way you want it, and then copy it? Oh, no, that <laughs> You've probably seen it well. I'm sure you've seen some of those pictures where he the shoreline and the trees and the rocks are all dead sharp, mm -hmm. and everything else is one what happened. Or whatever, yeah. Well, that, uh, he would put uh, his 4 by 5 up on a tripod and uh, put pentatomic X in it, and stop it down as far as it would go, and put about a uh, 3 or 4 point uh, stop. Right old neutral density filter on it and mm -hmm. give it a half hour exposure. Oh, we used to accuse Wynn of making a, a half-hour movie on one sheet of film, but by the way, I bet. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's an interesting. Those are interesting pictures, and I've heard of him. The some of the hassles of printing some of these extreme contrast things that he's gone through. Because this fellow I mentioned, Jack Ward, helped him print some of those uh -huh. at some point. Uh, well, I still think that the best stuff Wynn did was earlier when he had the 8x10 camera and go out and just make things kind of, well, sort of like uh, Weston did. 
the nudes and the early All early the things and they're in dead sharp. Yeah. I personally am not too crazy about that, but uh, mm -hmm. some of the other stuff he did, I'm not sure about. Yeah. Hmm. Well. So, have you been devoting a lot of time to photography since you retired, essentially? Has that been your main yeah. interest? Uh, Chief hobby. Uh, can't do a lot of walking anymore. Uh, and golf has gotten, I used to play a lot of golf, but it's gotten to be, well, now, yeah, I was 80 the other day, so yeah, I'm was... not as, uh, as spry as I once was, and I don't walk as well. But uh, I would still go out and play nine holes of golf if I could find somebody that would, I don't mean on a day like this. Yeah, but. I was just noticing you have a tripod clamped to the windowsill here. Which I, I guess you're probably doing... One of the birds on the feeder. Yeah. I can sit over here with a a bulb and a couple of flashes up there and do what I like. But, so you think, uh, you don't think too much of the modern scene in photography, I, I, I guess. Well, I have a, an acquaintance in New York who, I won't mention his name, we wouldn't know about him anyway. Uh -huh. But he, uh, he reminds me of that uh, guy that ran out and jumped on his horse and rode off in all directions. Yeah. He's putting the carbon images on tile and then trying to fire them. Uh-huh, oh, do it. He's not doing it the right way. Mm-hmm. Then he's coating his own carbon tissue. Then he goes haywire and buys a lot of this new uh, uh, dichroic filter head business for making uh, type C or whatever they call them now. Right. And each time, that's the only thing to do, you should get this equipment. And uh, then he decided he's going to write a book on carbon carbro. Well, he asked me what I thought. Would I send him some prints? Well, I, I told him what I thought was that we needed another book on carbon carbo about as much as Buffalo needed three more feet of snow last January. Yeah. And I, I said, answer me two questions. One, have you ever made a really good carbon or carbo? Two, what makes you think you're qualified to write about it? I haven't heard from him since. <laughs> we may never hear from him again. I will. <laughs> and, uh, well, let's see. You know Marty Scott over at uh, Kodak? He's the scientific uh, sales end of the thing. I got to know him through Louis Condax. And uh, here, a while ago, I was talking with him on the phone. He said, hey, I met somebody you might be interested in. and gave me your name. It was this uh, guy, uh, Alfred or whatever it is, Blaker, has written that book. It was recently published by Freeman out there in San Francisco on field photography. Yeah. I got the book, and it's fairly interesting. Uh, from what Marty said, I thought Blecker was giving up on some of his uh, teaching and was going to do some work. So I dropped him a note and sent him a couple of small casein prints and told him if he had any interest, I'd be glad to give him my current recipe mm -hmm. and uh, be glad to have somebody doing some work. Mm -hmm. But uh, I got a letter thanking me for the prints, liking them very much. And he'd like very much to have the recipe so he could put it in his file because if he uh, decided to publish that, uh, publish something on that in, in the future, he would like to have it and he would be very sure to give me credit for him. I told him I was not interested in any credit or in any publishing and that if he, he or any of his friends wanted to do some photographic work, let me know. I haven't heard from him. Huh. But that's. Uh, I hell this is Rochester Historical Photographic Group, I guess it is, Kings Lake and uh, Jim Dobbins and uh, I guess Joe Condax is in on it, I don't know who. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm vaguely aware of them. Yeah. But uh, 
I got a call from one of them a while ago, a year or so back, when I come over and, uh, to one of their meetings and talk to them about what I was doing. Well, I said, what do you mean? Well, it developed all they wanted. Was, <laughs> this was a program chairman. He wanted somebody to fill in the time for him. And I said, well, thank you. Another thing, that SPE meeting that you had out there. Now, were you at that meeting? Nope. Uh, were you out there during that meeting? Nope. But Phil uh, told me about it ahead of time, and he said that the, I've forgotten who it is, it's some guy from, well, I can't think of his name now that Phil mentioned. Phil Kodak, this is. Huh? Oh, Phil Davis. Phil Davis, yeah. yeah. right. Uh, was setting up the program, and he wanted to see if he couldn't get somebody to talk to them on some of the old processes. All right, Dick Stevens. That's the one. That's the man's name, yeah. yeah. So I, uh, and he wanted to get me, and he wanted to get Russ Cummings. That's this, this guy that mm -hmm. I, I told Phil about. Oh, I said, I won't answer for Russ, but as far as I'm concerned, it's just a three-quarter of an hour talk on uh, how you make gums or carbons. No, you got the same answer from Russ. But Russ had arrived, uh, any of these old guys would be delighted to work with any of these people. But... Why bother if uh, telling him about it is... At least... Uh, uh, means nothing. Yeah. I look at these lists of books. I got something from Laurel Publishing the other day, and I look at the books that are now being published. Mm -hmm. And then <laughs> read the names and wonder who the hell the guys are and what have they done. Yeah, well, there's a lot of people making pictures. I mean, I, yeah. <clears throat> you know, we, we talk about the people writing as opposed to, to working, but there are a lot of people making oh, yeah, photographs. Oh, yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> I don't know what you think of any of them. I mean, people like Winogrand, or I don't even know if you are familiar with these I, names. I, I know the names, but not well enough to... Les Crims, for instance, is one that bothers me. I think he has pretty bad taste. Yeah. And there's Heineken is another one. Crims specializes in bad taste. Uh, yeah. Well, Heineken is, is no favorite of mine, and I was intrigued to read about that auction at Eastman House not long ago, the print right. auction. If none of Heineken's were sold. That's right, no one bid on them, even. That's, yeah. Well, that uh, <laughs> kind of struck me and served them right. That's how I felt about it, but of course, I'm just one guy. <laughs> yeah, that was an but interesting... But you talk about this uh, uh, renewed interest in the old processes. Yeah, but what they're doing, I'm down to the visual studies workshop. I don't get down there very often anymore. But the last time I was down there, they were busy making uh, blueprints on fabric of some sort, it looked like cheesecloth to me, and then uh, embroidering it or stitching with colored yarn, and then making little slippers out of the thing. Well, they weren't any good as slippers, they were no good as photographs, and I couldn't see what in heck it was all about. And mm -hmm. yet they're <laughs> working on that. <laughs> I got, uh, my friend across the road here is Dr. Kurt Weinberg, he's a, a professor emeritus of comparative literature from the OVAR. And uh, he and I, he's a, a German Jew, got out just ahead of the Nazis, got himself his uh, uh, PhD in Yale after going through the Foreign Legion and the American Army and the Intelligence Corps and getting back to this country. And he's done very well, he's near the top of his profession. And he has a slight interest in photography, but no, he's got a lot of cameras, but doesn't know what to do with them. Right, yeah, sure. But uh, he told me about some pupil of his who had a boyfriend who was, uh, I just got his Master of Fine Arts from mm -hmm. RIT. Uh, so I said, well, I'd like to see him, see his work. Well, this guy came over, 
and he had oh 20 25 sheets of cloth maybe three so three, big three by two feet huh? two by three feet or bigger yeah uh -huh. and he had uh, let's see he made negative was a sheet of glass with some this uh, transparent uh, scotch tape mm -hmm. squiggled around on it and then he made four 1114 uh, codeless prints from that or codeless negatives put the, the larger way up and put the just butted them up to each other so you could see the lines and no no yeah, that's what he did. Develop them all at the same time. Then he would sensitize these cloth with, uh, oh, a pseudo calotype, yeah, some one of the iron sulfates and something else, which comes up with a nasty brown color. Mm -hmm. And then he'd print that by laying these negatives on top of it and having a sun lamp and printing for three quarters of an hour, and then he developed it in the bathtub. And when he got all through with it, it looked exactly like the rag that you'd get off the pile of rags alongside the grease pit in the garage. Kind of like the wrinkles were dirty, I mean, kind of like... Yeah. <laughs> and yet, uh, Master of Fine Arts, and that's the result of three years or whatever. Hmm. Well, is there anything you see going on today in photography that you think is good? I mean, that you think is really interesting, that you're aware of? Well, I'm so far out of touch with anybody that's doing anything. Um, Do you read any of the camera magazines today, for example? Oh, modern. I still, I'm still on the list. That's the only one I take, and that's because my subscription hasn't run out. But uh, you probably never heard of Robert Desmi. Yeah. Well, there's one of his, and there's another. Um, we've been in touch for years, and uh, I'm afraid we're both old fogies because uh, we're not too keen about what's going on. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, He's taking this uh, that Swiss publication camera. Mm -hmm. Why he spent $24 for it when he <laughs> has remarks to make him, he does, but he sends a thing to me. And I send him any magazines I have, we just swap back and forth. But oh, this thing is beautifully printed, nice paper stock. Oh, yeah, beautiful. But the stuff they pick out to put in it, where do they get it? It's the cream of the crop. Huh? It's the cream of the crop. That's what uh, makes me wonder. Then <laughs> he'll uh, <laughs> pinhole shots and things like that. Or yeah. Hmm. Well, it's it is interesting. What's going on? But of course, the thing that gets me is, after all, a camera is a, is a mechanical device, which enables you to get a fairly good representation of what you see. Well, why not use it as such? Yeah, well, what you see is the is the catch expression there because what you see varies pretty well radically for some of these people. Well, it was. You know? <laughs> I mean, Les Crim sees certain things. Let's yeah. just say that uh, yeah. you or I might not see. No, but I mean, things as they are are difficult enough. I mean, you look at things with a very wide angle lens in stereo. You got automatic diaphragms and you got automatic focusing, mm -hmm. and uh, then you try to shoot it. Uh, on a, two-dimensional uh, sheet and make it look like what you saw. Well, that's hard enough without doing all the rest of the stuff to it, it seems to me. Yeah, the translation. And the value of the thing, now I get more fun out of old pictures that I made back, I've still got negatives I'm printing that I made back in 
you know, 15, 16, during the, before we were married, during our, on our wedding trip, have the kids, and it's kind of a, a history of what went on and what things looked like then. Mm -hmm. Back into Main Street, the way it was, and when you look at it now, you wouldn't think it was the same city. Yeah. Yeah, it is interesting, any of that stuff, just to look at. I know that's uh, that's one of the dangers. In one a sense of the things that uh, Ned McMurtry had that always intrigued me, uh, the Vanderbilt Cup races back in 1906, 7, and 8, you may not have ever heard of me. even. Oh, yeah. Auto racing in those days. Well, Ned was always a car buff. And having, not being strapped for funds, he always had himself uh, the latest. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, a Benz or a, a whatever it, it was whatever, he wanted. Yeah. And he used to go to the, religiously, to the Vanderbilt Cup race and make photographs of that thing every year. And he had a wonderful collection of, of those guys. Fantastic set of documents, really, of the, of the race yeah. over, over well, time. Why the hell are people doing that now for, for the future? Instead of some of this stuff that... Yeah. Actually, there are people doing that. They're well, not, I suppose. They're not the ones you but see published in modern photography. They don't get heard about image. it. Yeah. But uh, I think I there, are, there are people doing that. One time years back, we were down in the Hot Springs area on a trip. And we stopped off in Clifton Forge, which is not far from Hot Springs, and filled up with gas and had a cup of coffee. And I noticed across the road was a little store that said Antiques and Junk, spelled J-U-N-Q-U-E. So I had to go over and look at that. Well, it was a very interesting place. He And he had oh, several hundred glass plates, four, five, five, seven, and eight, ten, which had been made by a guy by the name of Hoover, who was a photographer down that area in the early part of the century, or in the last part of the last century, of, well, not only of the homestead, for instance. I think it was built, burned down three different times before the present building was built. Mm -hmm. And pictures of wool farmers and what they're doing on the farms, and the villages and of that area, beautifully done. Just general straightforward documentation. Absolutely. And here, I said, why don't you turn that over to the Virginia Historical Society? I said, that's too good to leave around here and sell for junk. He said, I think I'm going to do that. And of course, they were the good old pyro-developed negatives that you couldn't put a pin through them, and you couldn't possibly print them on any modern silver. Just printing out paper, the only thing you Printing out paper or carbon or platinum. Or mask them somehow, yeah. Hmm? I say, or you could mask them somehow if you had the time and energy. Right, you might, but... Uh, wouldn't be worth it. They were, that was the way they made it. I mean, it was a carbon negative in those days, and carbon and platinum were... Yeah, ideally same, suited to the same, that. Same kind of a negative. To that negative. Yeah. And I don't know what he ever did with them. I didn't... Uh, yeah, I've seen prints from old negatives that were made just by a small, like a local historical group that yeah. were just made, they just hired some kid to make them, you know, and they were just awful oh, because... you can't do it. You can't print on a regular material, you know. The, uh, uh, there's one going on now, I think it's at the Bausch Museum, I don't know. Uh, a guy by the name of Stone, who was a news photographer around Rochester, mm -hmm. back in the early part of the century. Oh, they were they printing all these? They have one in the newspaper yeah, now and then. Yeah. yeah, well, I knew the guy. He was a good friend of my dad's. Oh, yeah? And, uh, uh, oh, we used to see them all around. Always with the good old Graflex. <laughs> Those negatives probably, somebody, if, if they were <coughs> reasonably well washed, would be perfectly possible to print now. I haven't seen any of them. But these ones of Hoover's were ones that were made years back.
Yeah. Uh, I wish I could show you a carbon print that Russ made. That's this guy Cummings. Right. He got hold of an old eight by ten plate that somebody had made. It was just the front of one of those old houses out there, and uh, everything was in there. The detail, the shadow information up under the porch roof, and uh, everything. But that daggone thing probably had a density range of 2.5 or even up to 3. You couldn't possibly print anything else. So all Russ did was to take a uh, sheet of carbon tissue, Indirectly. sensitize it with about 8% bicarbonate, and make a carbon. It's got everything in it, the whole thing. You can see the the nail heads, you can see the grains and the peeling mm. and the plaster even up in the shadow areas. Anybody try to do that on any of this modern stuff? Mm. Yeah, that's an interesting thing too. Of course, Louis Condax is one of the guys that knew more photography that isn't available any that's not around anymore. Phil doesn't know anything about it. He didn't pay any attention. Yeah, right. And uh, uh, Louis, well, as I say, I met him in Philadelphia knew him slightly down there. And I got back here after being away 15 years. And I was down in Philadelphia one time and looked up El Delari. He said, hey, Luke Connex is in town. He's up there in Rochester now. Well, this is only about 1946, I guess, seven. So I looked up Louie, and sure enough, during the war, Mies had hired him from, and brought him up here to get the dye transfer business going. Mm -hmm. Louie was the daddy of the dye transfer process. And uh, from then on, Oh, we used to get together every week or two and uh, do something. Much of the stuff I know about color is came from Louis. You can't write it down, though. How do you tell us? Hell, you can look up in Spencer or Kodak's book on how to make separation eight. Is what are you gonna do with them? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what, that is, one thing that's happened a little bit, and it hasn't really been towards the end you're talking about. But there has been a rebirth in the last couple of years of the idea of workshops as a learning thing in photography. Yeah. Now, they've been very different, a lot of them. Yeah. But some of them have been like what you're saying, where you go and you actually watch a guy working. Yeah, but uh, when you read the things that are going to be covered in one of these workshops, I don't think of somebody that's uh, going to pick all that up. I mean, you got a group of guys that are yeah. going to pick that all up in a day and a half or two days. Yeah, well, some of them are like a week long and they're a little better. You know. Oh, when was in on some of those? and. Uh, Morley Bear and that gang from out on the coast and Ansel's business up there in the Yosemite. Yeah, right. Uh, of course, I still think Ansel's the best businessman that photography has produced as God knows how long. Amen. And he took the, the pamphlet that used to come with the old Western meter mm -hmm. and expanded it to book length and called it the zone system. Look what he's done to photography. Five books? What do you mean, one book? Well, I mean, it started with one book and now my, oh, how many of people are writing on it? Oh, it's a it's a it's a whole industry now. And of course, this is Dick Zakia. Do you know him? Yeah, I do. Huh? I know, yeah. I know who he is. Well, he was over here the other day. He married his wife, and uh, my eldest daughter uh, took nursing together up the U of R. Hmm. Well, Dick's been going to come over for a long time. But he came over the other night, the other day. And I suggested to him that uh, the zone system could be greatly simplified if they would do what the old timers did: uh, expose for the shadows and develop for the highlights. But I don't think I got my well, it's become too advanced now. Everyone has a densitometer, and the, you know, the more you have, the more you need to know. <laughs> well, when you learned to print, learn gum processes, did you learn them from someone, or did you learn from your father, or you talk about not gum, no. Or what, no. what processes did? You, 
Yeah, you're talking about learning from these people. How learning. did you learn it? Did you learn from other people? Watching. Like oh, I work with. Uh, I've I watched Will work in the dark room. He's been in my dark room. Same with Louis many times. Ned um, McMurtry made. We made carbons together in Carbros. Yeah, but. Uh, it's it's being interested in in something and uh, heck if uh, well Russ Cummings and I exchange prints uh, I I keep sending him some of these casing things I'm doing and he sends me one of his every once in a while exchange ideas mm -hmm. um, a variation of uh, well I know how he made the emulsion for that for instance mm -hmm. and it's different than it was mm -hmm. a year ago and somebody asked me one time if I'd give him the, my Sensitize uh, my formula, uh, formula for casing. Well, I said, which afternoon or morning, <laughs> uh, which day, or which week, or which year? Yeah. <laughs> you don't do it the same way all the time, and you don't act the same way all the time. Yeah. Well, the materials you buy that are, you think are the same aren't the same all the time either, for that matter. You know? Well, I think of the zone system, and I think of the variation in well, certainly the shutters and to some extent the diaphragms. And the the slight variation in the focal length of various cameras of the same make, <clears throat> and then even Tri-X film, one batch to the next, not the same. Oh, the heck, they can. Oh well. <laughs> well, amazing. Um, well, speaking of pictures, here's one that I really like. And that was made by a. a Commercial photographer in Belgium. That was one of these guys, you? Yeah, middle one. Mm -hmm. In June 1918. <coughs> and that's the print that he sold us. There's just three doughboys or whatever. Yeah. Well, we were we were about 10 miles back of the front lines up there in Belgium that time. We were wandering around on a leave and uh, saw this photograph shop. So we stopped and had our picture taken. And mm -hmm. each of us got a print. Well, I sent that to my mother. And well, that's, that's just a straight silver print. Made in 1918. I wonder how many of these goddamn uh, RC prints are. Oh, God, RC. Oh, RC. Ooh. 